We are continuing in a series of men, men and women of the Bible that Pastor Brent has been going over over the last um, couple of weeks, starting with Adam and then going into Eve. And today we will be looking at the life of Noah. Um, Noah is famously known for the flood. Um, probably if you've ever been to Children's Church, as, as my two brothers before me um, that preached earlier today often spoke about how we have different songs and games um, that show Noah kind of being like um, having this water um, structure zoo that he was able to take along with him and, and, and save the animals. And he's the hero. He's a biblical hero. He's a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. And, and today we're going to look at him and how his story, his story of salvation really ha should have an impact on us and, and help us in terms of laying out a pathway of, of how we can carry out our lives or our walk with God and some of the fruits that will come from that. And so we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Um, we'll jump down to 9, verses 9 through 14. Genesis um, chapter 6, I'll read to you, um, starting with verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the examples that you have given to us of various men not that they're the center of the story, but that you are the center of the story of their lives and how it has impacted them. Please help us in studying this passage. Please use me as a tool to communicate your message. More than anything, we want you to, I want you to be glorified, Father God, and for all of us to be transformed in some way um, because of the word. Um, so use me now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, when, when we look at the story of Noah, I think it's really easy to look at the time. You hear the language of violence. You hear the language of evil. And it can bring to mind a time frame that doesn't seem like is anything like ours. I mean, have you ever heard of the movie Purge? <laughs> I've never actually watched it, but I'm assuming it was successful. They have like three or four different iterations of the movie. And I think a part of the concept is, is that there's a, a moment in time where there are no laws. You can kind of do what you want to do. And then there are people who go out and they they do some of the most vile and horrible things that one can think of. And I, uh, I find that when I look at other generations or if I look at other people or if I'm um, thinking about the evil that someone else does, I seem to feel like the bar of my life, whatever my moral standard is, where I feel like I am, that's where God is kind of cool with. So if you're talking about evil, it must be somewhere down here below what my actions would be. So because I may 
you know, speed when I'm on 66 every now and then just sometimes or me and my wife may get into an argument because I, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. If there's some areas where I fell short, well, surely this generation wasn't like that. They must have been doing something else. I mean, there must have been killing and murdering and, you know, stealing of babies going on on a consistent basis. And while I'm not saying that that didn't happen during their generation, I think it's important for us not to look at their generation as if it's nothing like ours. As, as Moses, who is writing um, the book of Genesis, as he's kind of unfolding the various generations or descendants of Adam, he talks of uh, the men of renown, those who are well-known. And those who are well-known, it doesn't give a, 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 a description in terms of what their behavior was like, but I think it's safe to say it was evil. And it probably was evil in areas of power or political power. It was probably evil in areas of entertainment. There were probably people who were taking advantage of others, but they became popular because of it or despite it. That these men of renown, similar to our day, that we have people who are kind of applauded as wonderful and great because they've made a lot of money despite the fact that they've done things that are evil in the sight of God. And so as a generation, the, the, the pre-flood generation, as they moved and they coursed away from the garden experience that Adam had into this space where they are actually walking and continually, I would even say, running away from God. I say that because in Romans, Paul writes in, in chapter 1 that the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness. That means they didn't want to be anything like God, and there is wrath that is coming. That's after the flood. So how much more before the flood did they not want to be anything like God? And there was this running away from them. But it was the men of renown, I believe, that were ones who was kind of forging the paths away. And how about the leadership of our day, the people of renown, those that are most famous? How many of them are famous because of their likeness to God? Or is this something that's against God? Because the reality is evil is not just the murdering of someone or something that you find heinous. It's anything that isn't lining up to what God would have you to be or anyone, I should say. And so we have to be careful when we study Scripture that we don't set a bar for ourselves and we feel that this doesn't apply to us and we can't see ourselves there. I don't know exactly what it looked like when the, that got God to a space where he was ready to destroy everyone. But I know that our generation can't be much better because there is an impending judgment coming on ours as well if you think post-flood. And so whether Jesus comes back in a, a thousand years from now or a hundred years from now, you're going to go and meet him yourself because some of us are only going to live so many more years going forward. And so us taking serious the judgment that this generation faced is so important for us as a, a body of believers. And so when we're looking at Noah and seeing how he responded to God's hurt and pain for the generation there, we too need to respond to the way that God feels about our current generation. 
And so as we're introduced to Noah and we, after finding out about how rough and, and wicked the generation was, we, there's something there that, that, that jumps out to me in verse 9. Noah walked with God. In verse 8, right before it, it says that Noah, that, that God found, excuse me, Noah found favor with God. Let me just read it to you because I think I just quoted it to you wrong. Um, please excuse me on that. Um, but the idea that God himself, not, not something that Noah himself did to earn, but that God, he would love someone who didn't deserve it. Verse 8 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah's response to having been found with favor from God was to walk with him. He didn't kind of do what some of us do. I can also imagine, you know, with Noah coming from the, the line of, of, of Adam, I'm, I'm sure, I, I got to believe that one of the most repeated stories was what it was like to be in the garden. I mean, like simple stuff, like if, if somebody was eating a piece of fruit and, and they were talking about how good it was. I'm sure someone would say, hey, man, I heard, you know, grand, our granddaddy, um, Adam, he talked about the fruit in the, in the garden. That ain't nothing right there. And, and I know it's a lot better than what we have, but can you imagine what it was like in the garden? What if it had to have been a different level? And so there would have been stories of the garden. There would have been stories of seeing God create or, or Adam naming the animals and there would have been pride in that family line that would have taken that Adam was the one that did that. Noah was removed. Noah didn't live when Adam did, but his father did. And his grandfather did. And so Noah would have heard stories of the garden. Noah would have heard stories about Enoch, who, who Scripture tells us walked with God so much that he just wasn't. Like he just, he just kind of just, all right, y'all, I'm out. No one knew what was going on. I'm sure those stories went about. The stories of, of, of God's goodness went within his family. And there was an interest that Noah had that I'm sure could have just satisfied him in terms of trying to have the right kind of behavior. Especially if you match it up against um, the culture that was going away from God. He had an interest in God. He knew good things about God. I'm, he could have just rested in a space like some of us unfortunately do, that God is a good God and I know that and I'm doing the best that I can. But no one another step. Walk with God means that he pursued relationship with him. That he allowed God to be the center of his world. And that he made decisions based on the, the wisdom and the direction that God gave to him. And, and because of that, we can see that there were various fruits of his life. There was faith that was there. That's talked about in Hebrews 11. He was a herald of righteousness. Why would he, he go out and preach about righteousness and doing right things unless he saw this perfect God and what things should look like? And the conversations he must have had, the, the intimacy that he must have had that influenced his life in such a way that it became the foundation of which the rest of his life story is built on. Often we look at heroes from the Bible and we want to mimic their behavior. We want to, we want to kind of do it like that. I want to be courageous like David or I want to build something big like Noah did. 
I mean, the ark was humongous. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But, but we want to do something special for God. And so we think about the behavioral steps and we want to mimic those things. Similar to what I, I like to use the example of me when I used to want to play basketball before my hoop dreams died. Um, I, I, I saw Michael Jordan do a move where he would go underneath the rim and he would smack his wrist. It would look like he smacked his wrist when he would make the layup. Of course, he stuck his tongue out. My tongue isn't as long as his, so I didn't do that part, but I, I just wanted to mimic the move. I didn't understand the training that he did and how he worked on power dribbles. He worked on his first step. He worked on maneuvering the defense so that he could get around him. I didn't understand any of that. I just wanted to get underneath the rim and go like this and be like, yeah, and one, and one, and one. That's what, that was what my hope was. If we want to be anything like Noah, if we want to take examples from Noah's lives and, 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 and apply it to our own life, we have to recognize what his foundation was. And it was in his relationship with God that truly is the key to everything else. Anything else that we see him doing, the great obedience that he displayed was really because of his relationship with God. He walked with him. He talked with him. I believe that he saw God's heart when sometimes for us it's hard to see. I mean, on the face of it, the extinction level event. I know it's a children's story, but, I mean, it's a pretty brutal children's story that everyone, everyone dies. Why would Noah work with God? What would compel him to do that? I think it's, it's, it's things that God reveals in, in, in Genesis 5 and 6 that you only get when you walk with him, when you have an intimate relationship, when you are in a position where you begin to understand his heart, that, thing, that your perspective of a situation can change. It says in, in those two verses, the Lord, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. There certainly is a wrath, a righteous wrath of God that's against the conduct that's unbecoming of those that are made in his image. But when you walk with God and you begin to understand the love that he has for his creation, like Noah did, that Noah must have got a sense of his heart that this wasn't just a great punishment. This wasn't just a God who capriciously was being vindictive against those that he created because they weren't being obedient, that it hurt him to his heart of the evilness that was coming out of man and how they didn't align with whom he had designed and how he had designed them to be. I believe that Noah, who walked with God, began to understand God's heart concerning this. And that as a herald of righteousness, the reason why he would go out is because he knew his father was being hurt by their behavior. That there was a better way for those who, who were in his community. There was something about them. The love that he had with God allowed him to love his neighbor as himself. And so, as Jesus said, the greatest of all the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But the second one was like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And here I think we see Noah because he walked with God. He didn't just rely on the stories to fulfill his knowledge of who God was. It was in his intimate walk. 
It reminds me of the story of Jesus at the well, and he, he speaks to the Samaritan woman. And after um, just really getting into her life and, and, and letting her know who he was, she runs off back to the town that she's from, and she tells everybody about this encounter that she has with Jesus. And so they come out, and then they meet Jesus. And there's a comment that one of them makes is that, hey, we no longer believe because of what you said. We believe because we heard him for ourselves. And I think that's where Noah was when he walked with God, that it wasn't because of what he heard about what great-great-grandpa Adam did. It wasn't about um, just what Enoch did. It wasn't just because he believed and, and God could understand his heart. It was because I know him for myself, that he could walk with him. And that in itself compelled work for him. There's a, Jesus makes this statement that if you love me, be obedient. And because of this love relationship that, that Noah had with the father, there was an obedience to instructions that God would give. After God had let him know that, you know, this generation isn't, isn't going to make it. I'm, I'm not going to continue to do this. And so what I'm going to need for you to do, verse 14, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This work that God had given to Noah, that in Hebrews it says that in holy fear, he responded by being obedient and building it. Noah understood the gravity of what God was saying, but he also was compelled by love. Not just his love for the father to be obedient, but he was compelled by the love that God had for the generation because he was giving them another opportunity. That he would not only go out and share this truth, he built an ark. He built, he built a, 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 a water vehicle that was a football field and a half long. A football field and a half long. <laughs> Four stories high with his sons. And, and I have two boys, man. And getting out in the yard, and say, hey, man, we got to put some mulch down. Oh, come on, Dad. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there was any kind of construction companies during that time frame. I don't know if they had chainsaws or anything like that. I think it was just him and his boys. Hey, hey, let's cut that one right there. We're going to get that one. We're going to get that one out. We're going to, that, that'll be today's work. For over a hundred years that you put in the work? This doesn't even make sense. But when it, love is involved, when, when, when there's an intimacy with the Father, when the Father is letting you know that this is ailing my heart, what my people are doing, and I want you to be able to save your family, but I also want them to know that not only have I tried in, in various ways, I made something so unusual. I have, I'm having you build something so unusual to your region of the world that surely some others will want to get in the ark. But when we're talking about a generation that's running away from God, no one responded well. But the work that Noah did wasn't about trying to get right with God. It was born out of a love, out of an intimacy with God that produced this work, that produced a work ethic that allowed him to complete something that we sit back in amazement of, 
that he would dedicate that much of his time to doing. By the way, I don't think anybody commissioned Noah to do that, so he probably wasn't getting paid for it. So that means he had another job. He, he had to go work his field. He had to hunt down the food or something like that in addition to doing the work of the Lord. Often, I, I know what it's like. I mean, I, I understand there's, there's a lot of us, it's, man, I've been, it's been a long week. And, and come on, Pastor, you, you, you asking us to go help out at the, at the shelter? Or you, you expect me to do this? Or you expecting me to do that? I, I'm not telling you what you should do. I'm just saying Noah, <laughs> Noah had a full-time job and he spent 100 years working on something that, was, that, that potentially could have saved his generation. Certainly it saved his family. And there's a, part, there's a sacrifice that comes, but it won't come just because you're being obedient and you're just doing the right thing. It's going to come because we've got intimate with the Father, because we are walking with him, that that second shift, that second work that, that God calls us to, that, that he gets you plugged into, that you'll be able to give yourself to that and you'll be able to enter into a rest that allows you to be able to make it through, through these two different wings. Certainly, it could be just at your job itself that God wants you to build this ark. But we, I don't want to go too, too far down that path. This, this work came along with a promise, this promise of protection, this promise of safety for him and his family. And because Noah walked with God, because, God, because Noah had worked for God or was continuing this work for God, when there were things that didn't seem to work out in the timing that he thought, he could have hope because faith had already been born in his life. And though Jesus didn't walk the earth in human form at that time, Scripture tells us that he is the author and finisher of our faith. And so there was a faith that was authored on the inside of Noah that compelled him to have hope in situations when it didn't always seem to make sense. I mean, a hundred years to build a boat, people making fun of you along the way, certainly that had to take place. People questioning you, family members questioning you. And then we, we see that, you know, his children made it, his wife made it, but, or, or excuse me, um, his children um, made it, and he was able to bring some of his family in, but we don't hear about extended cousins or grandmothers or, or anyone like that. I'm sure family, you know, family is a funny thing because family is like, you know, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but in my family, the, the person who will call me a fool the quickest could be my brother or something like that. A cousin or someone like that. Man, you know, that is just dumb. What are you doing? Why are you wasting your funds like that? I, I can recall when, when, I, when, when God in his grace brought me to himself. And I was in the military at the time in the Air Force. And, and I come out of the Air Force and I knew that God had told me that I needed to go and serve my father who was alive at that time in ministry. And it's a long story and I don't have a lot of time so I won't give you too much more detail than that. But I remember telling my mother what God told me to do. And she said, I think that's crazy. 
that you would move to Williamsburg where there are no jobs when you could stay in the DMV where there are plenty of jobs. I think that's just crazy, and I don't think that you're hearing from God. Family can be the very ones, though they have every good intent for you, could be the very ones that are getting you to turn away from what God wants. And as you're building this ark and there's no signs of, there's no signs of, of, of what God told you seeming to come to pass and people are talking down on you, Noah was able to wait it out. He was able to have patience in that situation because of the hope that was inside of him, because of that, that sprung from the intimacy of walking with God. When he entered into the ark, there were seven days where there was no rain, even though God had closed up the ark. I'm sure his sons had a couple of questions. You know, like on day two or three, um, you said it was going to flood. Now, I don't really know what rain is, but I don't think it's happening right now. When is that supposed to take place? Or maybe when it started raining 40 days and 40 nights, and is it ever going to stop? Are we going to die? There was hope that was inside of Noah that was birthed out of this walk in relationship with God. Maybe when the, when the rain stopped and they, they felt that they landed, but they couldn't get out because the water hadn't subsided completely could be a little frustrating over, uh, and one theologian I was reading said that we're in the, in, in the ark for almost a year. It might get a little frustrating. I know it was huge. I know it was bigger than a football field, but hey, when you're used to freedom, any kind of constriction can feel a little weird. But he was able to wait because of the hope that he had that was, that was created or that was the substance of what... <laughs> I, Hebrews 11 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That substance allowed him to have hope. Hope isn't like what I sometimes say, I hope the Redskins win the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's not what hope means. Hope means, <laughs> please forgive me, all my Redskins fans. I, but I, I do. I hope they do. And I know I'm really just wishing. <laughs> Noah, Noah had hope. He knew that it was going to come to pass. He knew that he and his family would get out of the ark because God said so. And finally, what we see in Noah's life that was birthed out of this walk with God as he steps out and he encounters a scene that must have been horrible. That on the face of it, you would think was, was just horrible. Was that he worshiped God. We don't always fully understand what God is doing. And Noah, I'm not sure that Noah fully understood exactly why God felt the way he did. I just believe that Noah knew how God felt and that it wasn't the wrath of some evil dictator that he punished the world the way that he did. But he knew that it grieved a loving, righteous God. And so what he did was right. But the scene wasn't beautiful that he came out to. Reminded me of a time when, when, when my wife and I, we, she got pregnant. Um, we got pregnant. And um, I mean, I didn't physically get pregnant. But she got pregnant. But I'm just saying, I don't want you to think it was some, some within our union, she got pregnant. <laughs> I want to make sure we're on the same page. <laughs> and there was such great excitement. This was going to be my first biological child. 
And unfortunately, we had a miscarriage. It was really devastating. And, and I don't know exactly how Noah felt, but I can imagine the scene in some ways would have created some pain on the inside of him. To see, to see that level of death and destruction. But my response to, to seeing that, not because I'm perfect, not because I'm good by any stretch of the imagination, but because I've been walking with God and I had been walking with God when, when, when we got the news that, that my wife was losing the baby, you know, I tried to you know, man up a little bit in front of her. I didn't want her to know how hurt I was. So I, baby, you okay? It's, you know, I'm, I'm here for you. And she's it's like, I'm, I'm going to be all right. So I, I go out into the parking lot and... <laughs> <laughs> and I said, God, I don't understand why we had to lose this baby. But I also know that you sent your only begotten son to die for me. I couldn't understand this pain. I couldn't understand why he didn't save our child. But I knew that on this side that there's a picture of a loving God who is willing to lay it all on the line, that he who was so very rich would become so very poor so that I could become rich, so that you could become rich. And my response to the pain was to worship God in the midst of everything he saw. Noah understood this. I, that, that in some way, not because of something I did, that I found favor in his sight. I don't deserve to be here. There's a generational current that goes along that was going away from God. And as much as we like to look at our heroes in the Bible, they were still men. They still had broken hearts. They still were ones that were bent towards evil. And he was on that highway to hell. And God whispered in his ear and said, come, son, let me talk to you. And he went and he followed and he walked with God. He responded well to the request that God put on his, on his life that, that, that when, 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 when the, the blinders came off of his eyes, he responded well by seeking after relationship with God. But I believe Noah absolutely knew that he belonged in the heap of bodies that he saw. That he, be, he knew that he was no better than anyone else. And it was only the love of God. It was only this love that can't be fully comprehended that he had to build an altar and worship this God. That he had to set the example for his sons that our God saved us. He preserved us in the midst of all the pain and the hurt. So as I started off, I, I, I really believe that Noah's story is a story of, a, of salvation. That there is God, this perfect God who rightfully has the ability but the moral standing to speak destruction over an entire generation. And he looked and he said, Noah, you come be with me. And because Noah walked with him, because he got to know him, 
Because he fell in love with God and he was able to fall in love with his neighbors, he became a herald of righteousness. He took on work that would allow God to put on display an opportunity for others to be saved. Likewise, we here at Grace Covenant Church, if you're a member here, if you're a part of the Christian body, and more importantly, that there's a great commission that we've been called into to go out and make disciples and that we are building something together. It's not that we're just showing up and being entertained by talented people, but that God has brought us together for a reason because there is a generation that is running away from God while we are trying to walk with him. And we need to be trying to pull people along into this ark so that they can be saved. The holy fear rose up in Noah because he knew that God meant exactly what he said. And though time comes about, he could trust that it was going to come to pass. And so every day for over 100 years, he was able to build an ark. Every day of our lives, we should be building something that shows our love for our Father and our love for our neighbor. Let's pray.